I'm Matt Miller of the Ditch That Textbook Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great educational podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use, and my Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Brandon Miller. Brandon is the CEO of 34 Strong. He's a world-leading expert in strengths-based organizational development. Join us as we talk about his strengths-based approach to management, managing teams, and his thoughts on parenting. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it would be so cool if you would go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings found on the web at boonrings.com is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code. Capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Brandon Miller is a world-leading expert in strengths-based organizational development. As CEO of 34 Strong Incorporated, he has successfully leveraged strengths-based workshops and coaching to impact engagement and key business metrics for major organizations such as Tesla, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and Bank of America, among many others. His work with businesses is inspired and complemented by his passion for family and parenting, having co-authored two books with his wife on the values of strengths-based parenting. 
Brandon's message is actionable and engaging for a multitude of audiences. CEOs will find his strengths-based approach to management valuable. HR leaders will love his take on maximizing engagement. And moms and dads in business will enjoy his unique insights into the relationship between leadership and parenting. Brandon, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here today, Steve. Brandon, before we go any further, you and your wife have written a couple of books about parenting. Um, One is uh, Incredible Parents, Discover Your Parenting Strengths and Raise Your Kids with Confidence and, uh, and Play to Their Strengths, A New Approach to Parenting Your Kids as God Made Them. What inspired the two of you to write these books? Well, Steve, I'll tell you, we spent some time thinking about something we might want to do together. We've been married now 28 years. So at that time in our marriage and being parents of seven children, uh, one finds themselves with not a lot of time for their partner. And so we, we wanted to be purposeful and specific in something that we both enjoyed. And we found that through my work, I spent a lot of time talking about our kids and the connection between parenting with a strengths approach and managing or leading with a strengths approach and had numerous requests for more and more stories about that. So we concluded, let's combine the two. Let's have a hobby we can work out together and uh, also complement what I do professionally. And I say to people, be careful what you make your hobbies because they can run away and become something even more. That's awesome. And by the way, congratulations on uh, 28 years. That's awesome, man. Good job. Thank you. Thank um, you. The, uh, it, you know, so let's stay with the topic of parenting for a minute. Uh, could you share a little bit about parenting and understanding the mental health needs of teenagers? And by the way, with seven kids, I'm sure you've got some experience going. Uh, yes, yes. So uh, I'm on to my sixth teenager right now. So I've had a, a fair uh, amount of experience. And I'll tell you that the, the mental health challenges these kids face today are unlike anything I've seen. Even our first three children are, are in their later 20s. And then we have an eight-year space before we get to the four at home. So we've seen two stages of kids go through the challenges that teens face. And this current group, with all that is happening in the world, has especially uh, taken their their, uh, lumps, if you will. And so uh, I partner with a gentleman who is a doctor of psychology, and I'm fed pretty consistently information about what's out there regarding depression and anxiety. And I didn't know this, but... Uh, A few years ago, the WHO, the World Health Organization, named depression and anxiety as one of the world leading challenges. And they and we see that in teens more than almost any other group that it's 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 almost labeled now an epidemic of growth among this age group. And so we have found as parents that the first step to understanding any challenge is to acknowledge what it is and that it is a reality and that even in our own home with the approach we take. We watch out for these things. We look for that mental health space to make sure we're meeting the needs of our kids and putting them in the best position to be successful. That's awesome. The, you know, it's uh, now I have two and they're in their uh, ones in his uh, um, mid twenties and the other ones in the late twenties. So uh, um, went through that time frame a long time ago, but I cannot imagine going through it with more than uh, two at a time. So <laughs> That's what an experience. The, uh, you know, it, it, one of the things that uh, I got to make sure we talk about is that something that many parents experience is teenage rebellion. You know, mm-hmm. Could you talk about this in terms of parenting today? Yeah, I sure can. So I am uh, five for five, Steve, with my kids losing their mind when they turn 15 years old. So I'm five for five. For whatever nice. reason, that's the age. 
That is the age that my kids decide that it is time to do the opposite of what their parents expect of them and find some way into some activity that we don't approve of and, and ways that they, you know, um, try to get away with that quote unquote, <laughs> you know, uh, so not le- being less than honest. I'll, I'll make that a nice way to say that. And, and what we've learned through that experience and certainly through our own teen years and talking to many other parents is that it's normal. This is normal that around this time, teens will begin to establish independence. They're going to want to establish autonomy. Now, we hope that they're going to take paths that don't lead to lifetime future consequences. And yet, understanding as parents, our goal is to stay in a position of advocacy. I want to stay in a position where I'm advocating, I'm looking out for their best interests. And so when it's time to bring corrective measures and offer other pathways than the ones that they're choosing. It's done in a spirit that I'm here to support you. I'm here to grow with you. And I do understand the why behind what you're doing. So in our home, because we take a strengths approach, we look for the strength in everything we see our kids do. Because somewhere in that behavior is a strength, a, a recurring pattern of behavior manifesting. And strengths are neutral. So we don't know which way they're going to go. We don't know how they're going to leverage it. And so when we watch it go off course, which is pretty normal because even adults will do this, we look for the way to guide it back. But where our goal is to lead with positive intent. Though there might be consequences to the behavior, certainly most of the time there is, depending on the level of of, uh, impropriety that we're dealing with. But in bringing them back in line, we're looking to do that where we're, we're fostering resilience, which you know, referring back to the mental health question is actually a, a big part of helping kids overcome some of these challenges that we're, we're, we're building resilience, we're building bounce back so that we see kids that are happier and healthy and form stronger relationships and hopefully choose a course for their life that is going to lead to a positive outcome. Excellent. Excellent. It, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. I mean, this world that we're in, you, you see it all the time, the, you know, everything from, uh, the, the reports that talk about how, although they're all connected, <laughs> they're still alone and uh, in these worlds because the connectivity is through electronic devices and such. And, you know, it's it's funny because, I you know, I think about when I was a kid, you know, I, I had, uh, and, and for those of you listening, yes, there was electricity then, okay? But, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, Mario was a little newer and uh, um, there weren't uh, all the other game systems and all that. And uh, there were a few bu- fewer buttons on them as well. And my favorite place was the arcade. But <laughs> with that being said, you know, it's the, the distractions weren't as many from uh, the connectivity and such. And I was just just wondering, uh, you know, if, what thoughts you had around the just that, that, that thought about you know, social media and such. Absolutely. I do have very strong thoughts about this and, and have worked very hard to uh, give my kids room to leverage technology as a great tool. So stay connected with friends build relationships while also being aware of the pitfalls, the dangers, and and absolutely the dark, scary sides of what this world can open them up to. And so as a parent of teens, uh, we've made it our intent that we we limit so, social media until they're well into their 17, 18-year-old years. So we're, we're, we are proponents of letting the, the emerging brains not have that much uh, information coming at them. And I'll just speak to that part of it so much information to where uh, it becomes difficult to hold attention. And that really is the, the prime commodity that, 
that the world is competing over is our attention. And so if we can help our children um, and as parents understand, we want their attention on, on their school. We want their attention on becoming good citizens, their attention if they have siblings, being a good sibling, member of the family, member of the community. And there's only so much bandwidth to work with in these young emerging minds. And so when you allow it to go too far out into other places, you're essentially working against yourself as a parent because you're aiming for certain outcomes of a, of a child who will be prepared for adulthood. But in, in the, the expansion of their mind into too many places, that it, it's limiting. And then we see that with kids emerging from the home with a lack of preparedness for the working world, the university world, and, and what comes after life at home. And so we take an approach of, of limiting that. And even then um, we have, we have certain controls that we have asked them to work with us on to put in place. They don't always comply, but we, we work with them on that um, while adhering to other standards that we ask them to spend their time on. That's excellent. And, you know, it's, I think it's something that the parents have to be aware of, you know, to, to, to actually, you know, have some sort of conversation with them about it. Cause you know, like you said, that rebellion area that you went through a whole bunch of times and still might have some more coming on. <laughs> I got one year, one year to go with my next one. He's 14. So I'm, nice. we'll see how, we'll, we'll see what happens in June of next year. <laughs> excellent. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, what, Let's start connecting your work with parenting. How does sure. fatherhood and business relate? I mean, how do they relate together and, and complement each other? Oh, my goodness. So when we uh, work within organizations, we spend a lot of our time aligning leadership expectations with manager responsibilities. And so we, we end up often training managers how to be a great boss, a great manager. And it is, it is so interesting, the parallels between management and parenting. It's a lot of the same muscles that you're going to use to do either, either role. And so we, we get to bring into the space, especially, you know, we'll ask uh, how many of you are parents? Many of them will raise their hands. How many of you had parents? Everyone raises their hands. So we've all, we all have a frame of reference here. And some of us had great ones, some of us not so great ones, all level of experience. But we each fundamentally understand the purpose of that relationship, the goal of, of development, the goal of, of preparation, the goal of making people uh, into who they are in, in meant to be, who they can grow up into. And so that parallel when it comes to development is where our work really sinks in because we, we provide organizations with an option. You can choose what is referred to as the deficit or weakness assumption, that the best path to success is to fix people, make them better than what they are now by solving whatever incompetence or area of quote unquote weakness they have. Or you can choose a path that spends more time thinking about where are their assets? Where is their energy? Where is their strength? What really makes their eyes light up? What gets them up in the morning, excited to come to work and put more of your resources there and parenting management, either one, one's going to lead to higher level of engagement overall for team or org than the other. And that's where the parallel comes into play. And, and it fits well, fits very well. Having worked with many teams, having managed and uh, been part of teams as well as managed and creating teams and doing and, and uh, being part of the leadership of uh, organizations and such, it, it fits very well, as well as the you know, the sometimes when you're kicking yourself because why did I go that route? Um, that also fits, you know. 
Well, and, and we'd like to say that, you know, that the, obviously the parallel runs out that you can't fire your kids or at least good luck with that. <laughs> yes. They're going to keep, they're going to keep showing up. So, uh, so management obviously has a different level of love and attachment and, and all of those things. Um, however, when we talk to team and we ask them this question, so list for us the qualities of the best boss you ever had and list for the qualities of the worst boss you ever had. And almost every single time we're going to hear they cared for me as a person. They were invested in my success. They, they, they took uh, time from their schedules to, to make a way for me, which sounds a ton like great parenting. <laughs> it's, it's very similar up to and including, you'll hear them say, I love that person. <laughs> you know, it was a great manager because that fondness is natural when you feel like somebody really has your back, really is looking out for your best interest. I love that analogy because, you know, we, we probably all have stories about that, that, uh, that manager, that leader in our lives that, uh, was like that. And uh, I know I have mine. How about yours? Do you have, do you have one? Oh man. I, so I had the most amazing boss. His name is Tom. And this was one of those people that, that come into your space and it's like, they, they take the time to know you almost better than you know yourself. So the way that he managed was one, um, there was just understanding that I was growing. This was in my 20s. I was emerging in my career. Um, but, but at the same time, there was pushing. There was this, I see more in you. You can become better. I'm not letting you settle. We're not just going to let you stay where you were. We're going to move you forward. So he had this amazing balance of being warm and personable and engaging. I like to spend time with him. Funny story. He's my best friend to this day. Um, so he, he was, he was the boss that grew into more, but he was, he was very much invested in me as a person while at the same time, I so appreciate that he did not let me get away with mediocrity. He, he would not let me settle for performance that was less than where I could uh, be at. And so he, he kept, he kept moving. And that was a perfect understanding of who I am and my strengths. Um, though that at the time I didn't always love that. I look back today and, and thank him to this day for just being such a great uh, boss, mentor, leader, developer. That's awesome. That's really cool. And just as a note, you know, it's funny because uh, the, the one who made the big difference in mine, who was, fits that your whole model, his, his name is Bob. And, uh, and his, boy, I said that weird. His name is Bob. And, uh, uh, and Bob and I are still friends today, which is really cool. And he's in his seventies now. And, but, uh, one of the things that he did for me that I'll never forget is that he's like, you really need to read this. No, no, no. You don't understand. You're, you're going to read this and then we're going to talk about it later. <laughs> and so he made sure that I started reading and reading became part of my professional growth as a result of him. Even though I was a reader, he, he made sure that I read. <laughs> That's fantastic. And it's, it's, it's fabulous to listen to people. I mean, with sometimes emotional, you know, with, with just recalling these relationships. And so we, you know, any one of us who've had multiple managers in our day, multiple people we would refer to as boss, we know the difference between a good one and a not good one. We understand that. And so with, with, uh, with a strengths approach, all it does is it, is it just takes the shape of what we look at differently. It just puts the focus somewhere else. And it allows for a real emergence of some really cool conversations around, you're really great. We can help you be even better. Let's keep growing. Let's keep moving toward that. And I've yet to meet a person in a role that starts off with, you know what I want to be is this mediocre, half, half, halfway performer, kind of the, I want to be in the lower third if I could. Can we just do that? I haven't met that person who starts that way. And unfortunately, they get that way. 
with that boss that doesn't do that. The boss that's picking on, well, you're, you're okay here, here, and here, but we're not good here. So we're going to spend all our time, 80 or 90%, thinking about everything wrong with you. Well, who wants to get up in the morning to go, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to go become a new person, solving things I've never been able to solve in my life about myself. Yeah, this, this doesn't always work very well. <laughs> does it? Does it? That's just, it, uh, oh, yeah, that's, yes, today is the day that I fix myself. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Because, nice. I, you know, I can get a new version of me today. Exactly. You know, this version that I've grown up with and these these innate talents that, oh, I didn't get a choice. <laughs> they came, you know, at least half of our strengths are genetically coded, just like your eye color. Sorry, you don't get a choice. Slap contacts on them. I don't care. You're still going to have the same ones under there. So, so our, our strengths are our strengths. Now, yes, we can learn and bolt them on. We have beautiful brain elasticity. That's really hard past a certain age though. I mean, you hear the term set in your ways. It literally means these patterns are going to replicate because your brain is nothing more than a habit reproducing organ. It loves to do it. And when you feed it to the direction that does it well, oh, does it reward you for it? You love being in that space. That's so awesome. I had to, and it just to sign out, without going too deep into this, I don't know if you ever took the ASVAB when you were a kid uh, in uh, in high school. They they had I the think I may have. I think I may have. And the military would get this this. And it was a, it's a career path test. It, it didn't mean that uh, you're going in the military. It just mean they gave you some ideas about uh, what it said about your possible career paths. And one of the right. things that mine said was uh, whatever it was in there that said this, they said, you do not want to be a clerk. You do not want to be in charge of filing. You do not want to be in, <laughs> in, in, in this type of thing. And man, did they have that right? Because over the years now I've gotten better. My piles are not as big and my, you know, yeah, some people are going, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, why did they have that? Right. I don't know what it was about that exam, but yeah, you're right. There's some things that over time, if you just spent all the time trying to fix that, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have missed out on a lot of my life, I think. <laughs> I, w- I wish that it had said to me, you should never work with power tools. I wish it had <laughs> said that because nice. early in my career, my wife and I were married very young. So we were 18 and 17. So we were that couple, you know, high school sweethearts, got married right out of, right out of high school, had a very, very young with a family. And so, you know, as I was going to college, I was looking for different pathways to earn a living. And so I went down a path to go learn the electrical trade. It was, it was open to me, had a, had an in. So I got in there and I learned within 18 months that I was either going to kill me, someone else, or both Very nice. <laughs> working with, working with power inside of these wires. And, and here's a funny thing, you know, when you think about genetics, um, that today, my 27 year old son, that is his profession. He cool. is a journeyman electrician. So when something breaks in my home, I call my son Lance because that's his brilliance. He's amazing at it. Dad had to learn really young, stay away from tools. It will go bad for people. That's cool. That's, that is so cool that your son became an electrician. That's that's awesome. Yes. Talk about, now that's a cool way of fixing your problem, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's called managing to your weakness. <laughs> I like get a, get a partner who can uh, come along and help bring their strength where you're not strong. I like that. <laughs> you know, let's, you're CEO of 34 strong. Can you give us an overview of 34 strong and, uh, and, and what its purpose is? Yeah. I, I, I gotta tell you, I love my job. So being a CEO to me, is I have the amazing opportunity to be a chief repetition officer. 
So that means I get to repeat the awesome stuff that we can look out and do the vision. Like, what are we going to get to do guys? And what, what, what's coming on the horizon team? And then I get the amazing opportunity to develop a, a group of leaders and just help them become um, all that they can grow into. And then just get to marvel at how their strengths just dwarf mine in certain areas and they just thrive. And so what we, at the core of what we do is we solve the problem of employee disengagement. We have yet to walk into an organization that doesn't have the challenge of more people disengaged than engaged. I, I've not met that uh, when we're invited in. So more people just going through the motions, just there, just meh, or even worse, they're, they're actively working against you. We call those actively disengaged people. We have an acronym for that. They're cave dwellers consistently against virtually everything you're trying to accomplish. And you can't not know who they are. Love that. They're the in, internal uh, people working against you. So we work within those organizations to solve that problem. And the way that we do it is we are, we are partners through the Gallup organization, which has this amazing tool called Clifton Strengths. There are 34 of these strengths. That's why we're 34 strong. Every one of us has them. And we go in and help organizations become 34 strong. Strengths-based, they're, they're employee engagement focused, and they're outcomes. We measure important things like right now, huge, huge challenge, retention. Retention <laughs> of great people, retaining the right yeah. people in the right roles for success. Uh, we do that mostly right now, actually, in the government space. So with, uh, with COVID, our entire company changed to a virtual-based company. So all of our trainings are now online, virtually about 95% of them. And so we do a lot of work within our own state, in the federal government, counties, cities, higher ed. That's where we get to spend most of our time is in that space right now. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And, and, and I got to ask, because you, you actually touched on it there for a second. You, you said you love your job as a CEO. Uh, what you like the most? Oh, developing leaders. I love it. I love to develop leaders out oh, in a close second. I love to lead our, our full team meetings and just inspire the team. I love to get, I, so this last uh, Friday we did our, or last Wednesday, I did our team meeting and I was uh, privileged to hear some information about our team from five different sources, and this was unrequested information. They were complimenting our team at how well they were doing at meeting the needs of our stakeholders, meeting the needs of our clients, just, gosh, just a pleasure to work with. So I got to go to the meeting and be the bearer of great news. Here's all this great stuff, team. You guys are just rocking it. And then I got to issue a reward because when you're the CEO, you get to do that. So I got to say, gift cards for everybody. Everybody gets a half day off this Friday. You're off at noon. Enjoy your long weekend. And I just, I love the space of getting to be the, the primary person who brings praise. I want to, if I'm going to set an example for my team, it's going to be outshining every team member on, I give recognition and praise because the, the stats around that impact, just, to, just that alone on engagement is, is massive. And I think many of us leaders miss golden opportunities, golden opportunities to enhance so many of our key performance indicators, our key metrics, just by that one variable alone. 
Very cool. This is this is awesome. By the way, I, I can hear that excitement and that passion in your voice over that. So that is, that is so cool. I, it, like, I got the coolest reports back. So my chief of staff sends me, she's like, you totally rocked that meeting. And I was like, and I didn't even prepare for that. Nice. <laughs> I, said, I, I had gotten the info and I knew I wanted to share it, but I didn't know where it was going to go. And just seeing everyone's eyes light up and knowing, hey, you know what, that that's the sort of, you know, because as a, as a leader, we want to reward that which we want to see again. So if, if I want to see them being excellent at serving our stakeholders and serving our customers, then I want to invest in that because that we invest in what we want to see. Unfortunately, often the, the mistake is made is we invest in what we want to fix. And so the wrong, the wrong message gets sent like, oh, we, we only invest in areas where we're not good instead of investing where we're already, we're, we're doing great, we could continue to put energy in that direction. That's interesting because then that, that means the team, other team members get the wrong message, which is that the only thing that matters is what doesn't work, right? And it's, it's commonly when we come in, a great example is you and I are sitting in a review and you're going over with me the 10 points of, of what I need to focus on. Well, in that review conversation, so when, when they're polled, so Gallup does a lot of polling around these things, and I could, I could relate it exactly to the parent-student report card conversation because they're almost one for one. So in that conversation, all of the equivalent A's are just glanced over. Hey, great job. Good job at reading. Good job at math. Good job at art and PE. Now let's go ahead and talk about your C in science. And 80% of the conversation is going to revolve to 90% around the C, remediation. Es- essentially, teaching a kid all your excellence. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it up. But now we're going to dig in here. Well, when you do that with kids, it it doesn't feel good for them, but when you do it at work, it actually sends completely the wrong message around your path to success is through solving your weakness, which to, to try to find strength out of a weakness is an oxymoron. That doesn't work. (laughs) You get strength through a strength build on that. You're going to get more of it. I love that. I love that. The, uh, as it, you know, the, the, what's funny is though, is that a lot of us were brought up through the era of, you know, if I got to focus on what you don't do right. <laughs> well, I, we'd like to say that every one of us comes by it. Honest. We come by it naturally. It's called the negativity bias. And psychologically that's where we start. And so when we're, we're going in, we're not, we're not there to say, ah, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, there's what's wrong with you. No, we go in saying, Hey, Listen, you know, as a parent of seven, I have had lots of report card conversations and I did a lot of them wrong. And when I learned to shift my mind, it's actually called the reticular activating system. So it's the part of your brain that filters too much information. It it helps you focus in because we can't, we can't stand that much information at the same time. So it helps us to focus and be mindful. Well, the neat thing about the reticular activating system is you can train it so great example we tell people is imagine the time you bought a new vehicle, new to you or new off the lot, whichever way. And when you bought it and you went on the freeway, all of a sudden you noticed everyone else had your car. <laughs> everywhere you looked, it was, wow, he has my car. She has my car. My car is everywhere. And all that happened is your reticular activating system brought in the focus and now you're, they were always there. Now you're noticing. Well, the good news is that if I can start to train that, I can look for strengths. I can see that first. And then I can begin to shift the conversations to match that. So it, it's time, it's practice, it's effort, but it does work. 
Excellent. Love it. You know, what are some of the primary reasons that organizations seek help from you in 34 Strong? So typically, uh, as in the case of some of our government uh, clients, is uh, they're, they're having an issue with retention or um, a, a serious issue with, with resilience and, and just challenges with performance. So you can center that around engagement and resilience are a little different. So in the midst of a pandemic, an engaged employee that's proactive, right? That's how I, I choose to act in my work. They can usually sustain it. But resilience is reactive when you get knocked down. And what many organizations were finding is their employees weren't getting back up, even the most engaged of them. And so we've had requests to come in and just support workforces to foster engagement through well-being. So we're really attending to providing coaching and, and training. And we, we deliver a lot of webinars around workplace well-being, workplace resilience, how to, how to manage this is a big topic right now, remote work, how to manage a remote workforce, how to engage them. Um, and so that often grows into what we call our OD or, or organizational development, where we can then come in and look at it. This is a common request is, okay, so we're, we have this 200 or 2000 person agency business, what have you. And we, we would want more of our people engaged than less because we can now see with all the research, how important that is. And there's a, there's a pretty good tipping point for us because they've heard of a strengths approach they're looking for an organization that understands is an expert here. And that's our, that's our entrance. That's excellent. Ex- excellent. The, uh, it, you know, and it, one of the things I want to kind of get into now is let's get into a little bit about uh, team management, working with teams and so forth. And, you know, Brandon, let's talk a little bit about managing a team. What factors can create issues in the way a team functions? Well, number one, and this is, it's, it's almost a term that requires depth and, and more meaning is communication. Uh, because many of us, when we're managing, um, and this is not a, a, an indictment, but we manage to our own style. We manage to the way that we learn best. We manage to, and, and certainly, you know, a teacher can fall into this or others because it, it's how I interpret information. And so when a, when a manager does this, where they fall short is the number one, and I mean across the world, number one indicator of individual and team engagement is the simple important factor, and that is this. I know what's expected of me at work. I know what you want me to do. And, and so we, we do a survey. And when we do the survey, people will score on a scale of one to five where five is strongly agree, three is neutral, and one is strongly disagree. Half of the people will typically say, they don't know what's expected of them. And when that exists, what occurs is the start filling in the blanks. <laughs> I just start filling in what I think you want me to do. And therein starts the, the path to frustration on your side and my side, because I'm not getting what I need because what my leader expects, you're not getting from me what you need. So I, you and I have a good rapport and here starts the swirl. And that, that goes from individuals out to a team. And now that becomes just the dynamic that managers feel like um, they're running on a treadmill. They're just not getting progress with that. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, it's uh, one of the things that uh, comes into play, obviously with a, with a team is uh, uh, trying to figure out how to get them to, you know, really want to do more or work, work together better or or just to to say this this team is my team and you know I I, I want to be 
connected with it. I mean, how can a leader boost and maintain engagement with it within the team? So when, when a leader adopts a strengths approach, there's three primary benefits they're going to notice pretty quick. So number one is they're going to notice more cooperation because when, when we can all agree that we want to focus on strengths and we have a, an instrument to teach us our strengths, it's a, it's a very popular message. Hey, we're going to think more about what's right with you than what's wrong with you. So that shift to a strengths approach, cooperative. Secondly, it opens the door to collaboration. Now we can share ideas and, and each idea can come from different angles because we're all going to see the challenge from a different view and, and an adage we like to give them. And it's, it's not you against each other to solve the problem. It's you against the problem. We are solving the problem together. So when the problem is in space and we are now working together to solve, we can collaborate. The third is collegial. So when I first started uh, this journey, and this was about 17 years ago when I learned about this strengths approach, I um, had a team of about 28 team members and various leads in there and, and whatnot. And so as we began to implement, what we found is that people who had been um, off, so they were, they were disengaged, started to come close. People who were struggling to uh, find a way to, to get along started to laugh together. They could have a break and just enjoy being around each other. So we found a collegial environment. And, and in that space, it created some parity. People started, hey, I, you know, you, we have different strengths. Or we have similar strengths. And now we can start to approach growth and development through a, a common lens, a shared approach. So when teams begin to build from here, we actually can start, then it's really fun because now you start to track performance. And here is the number one, the number one thing that will engage a team more than anything else wins when they can win, when collectively they can see the scoreboard in their favor. I've not found a single thing that engages a team more than this. That's excellent. And I could, I could see that too, because you get to feeling good, you know, and then, we, we did something right. We did, you know, as opposed to the opposite, you know, the person, you know, is tearing you down. Why, why can't you get to this level? Why can't you get to this sales point? Why can't you make this, the, the, you know, this whatever this is? The opposite of that, the wins. We've done something. We've managed to accomplish this. I, I can imagine. Well, because you think about it, at our core, none of us like to lose. <laughs> right. Even if, we're, even if we're not very competitive, we don't like being on the losing end, you know, the the area where we're, we're being scored low or, you know, in a company where the department that's lagging, nobody, I, I get to meet a person like, I want to be on the most troubled team with the most dysfunction in the organization. Can I just join that one? I've never met that person yet. Uh, I'm sure there's some glutton for punishment that might want that. I haven't run into them, but when you, when you can join a team that consistently, whatever the win is, right. It's the quarterly results. It's the monthly outcomes. Those teams, you find a, a synergy and energy that just seems to thrive. And so what occurs is that they actually create the space where the, the sum of the team is greater than the parts because now they're getting exponential growth because they're sharing ideas, sharing space, sharing credit. And now they can really begin to emerge. Very cool. You know, one of the things that, uh, um, and it, it's interesting hearing you talk about all this. I mean, it, you know, teams oftentimes have their own strengths. And I, and I was wondering, you know, as they work together and such, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about how a leader can go about identifying and maximizing his his or her strength, the, the, the team's strengths? Yeah, absolutely. So if we think about that from an individual standpoint, 
um, people will show you where their strengths are. So say, take the, the, an assessment, right? So there's lots of assessments out there. We, we like Clifton strengths, but that's not the only path. So there's a way that if I were working with you, I could watch you and start to figure out where your strengths are, are rising. So the first thing I'll notice is that you have enthusiasm. Like you're looking forward to things. You're going to, you're going to let me know that your eyes light up or your voice heightens or something about you signals, Hey, I have, I have an interest in that enthusiasm. Then a strength is going to show up with, it comes easy to you. So not only are you doing it, but it looks like, wow, he's just swimming in his own pond there. Look at that go. I mean, just, just really, we like to give this image. It's like running downhill with the wind at your back. That's what a strength looks like. You just look like you're flowing because third, it's above average or, or standout performance. So it really shows up as excellence. These are all going to be again with E, by the way, we call them the five E's to a strength. So enthusiasm, ease, excellence, and fourth energy. So this is, I worked hard. I put in a long day, but what I did, I did well. So at the end of the day, I still have more in the tank. I'm still energized. I'm still feeling that I can have more to give my family, more to give my community, more to go volunteer. And then fifth is enjoyment. And this is where we like to combine this enjoyment with endurance. I can keep going even when it's hard. So when a leader looks at a team, it can start to see where's that collective energy? Where are the individual parts coming together to show us our team performs well under pressure? Ha, ah, that's a strength. Our team performs well when they have time to really analyze and, and, and work through, you know, logic-based reasoning. Ah, that's what their strength is. Ah, this team performs well in the morning. No, this is an afternoon team. So there's practical ways that a manager can start to look through that filter and see what it's after. I love that. I love that. It's, it's, and there's nothing better, by the way, than working on a team that, that clicks. I mean, I, I, that's the way I like to think about it is it just, it clicks. You got that, uh, thing happening there and you like to be with each other. And and you start to notice as the coach slash manager, it's, it's the team starts to take its own dimension. So instead of pushing now, you know, like, come on, let's go team, get going. Now you're, now you're running to keep up. (laughs) They have their own momentum. It's all right. This is going to make me better. I gotta be, I gotta be out in front of this, finding out where their obstacles are so I can keep this momentum going. I love that. That is awesome. Yeah, it, you know, one of the things that I got to make sure that I get you to talk about, because, you know, besides clicking and I, I love your analogy, because there's nothing you know, when you have to start keeping up with the team, that's as as the leader, as the manager, that's that's a cool feeling. And, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, is going to come out of this is that uh, could you talk a little bit about becoming an advocate for your team members? Mm, yeah. So every single leader, whether we like it or not, and this is with our kids or with the people we lead, you're going to occupy one of three positions in the heart and mind of those you lead. You will either be their advocate, you'll be seen as their adversary, or the worst, you'll be seen as ambivalent. Just you don't care. You're, it could go either way. And so advocacy is, is a really intentional choice because if I'm advocating for individual members of my team or my team, it very much looks like I'm, I'm knocking obstacles out of their way. I, I have their back. When things go down, I'm, I'm there to take the brunt of, of what comes and I'm, I'm sharing the credit and success and I'm making sure that when there's a problem or there's, there's a defeat that I'm right there first to say, hey, let's, it starts with me. 
So it's ownership and it's, it's measuring outcomes. Now, because we don't get to choose this role, um, you have to play the arc of time because advocacy can involve saying no. It can involve changing a team member's role. It can involve holding them accountable, having difficult conversations when they're not performing. That's all in the vein of advocacy. Because if I know in my heart and convince you in your heart that I have your best interest in mind and I, my goal is your success, then we have an advocacy relationship that will, will in time, as you and I described earlier about those managers we remembered, it will be remembered as that person really, they cared. They took interest and they, they, they helped me become more than I would have been. I love that. That is it's so powerful. And, it, and, it, and all of this leads me, I have to ask this question, which is, can you talk a little bit about the role that coaching plays in helping a leader become more effective in working with their team and so forth? Because I, th- I think that's one of those aspects there that uh, we got to talk about. Yeah, bosses will tell, bosses will will direct, bosses give, you know, the, the, they arrive in the authoritarian role. And a coach operates more authoritative. So a coach is going to think about you as a person and my, my connection to you. And we know that one of the needs that every person has to engage on a team is they need to feel cared for as a person. They need, they need to feel seen and known. And, and right now, probably more than any other time than, than in my lifetime, I can remember people want to know they're seen. They want to know they're heard. So a coach sees you and knows you. A coach then also builds a path to develop you and engage you and grow you. And so it's, it's getting the best of both sides of effective leadership. And so coaches are strong advocates. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a coach in my past, his name is Ed Lombardi. If you can believe it, I had a Lombardi as a coach. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and I, I don't recall if he's a descendant of the first Lombardi, the Green Bay Packers famous coach, but my Lombardi was the kind of coach that he knew who I was because he was my teacher in school and he, he was just a fantastic coach. He got me to perform in the classroom and on the field at levels that I didn't know I could function at. And it was because he, he knew me, he took an interest and boy, did he push boy, did he, he kept expecting more from me. And he used to have this saying for us that it was a call and response. He would say, you gotta, And then as a team, we would respond, believe. And what he was going for there is, I believe in you. And now I need you to believe in yourself that you can win. You can be victorious. You can succeed. Never forget it. It's been something that bounces around in my head 25 years later, looking back and go, gosh, what what a great coach. That's so cool. That is very cool. You know, Brandon, this has been uh, awesome today. And one of the things that uh, uh, I want to make sure I get you a chance before we close, if someone to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? 34strong.com. So the number is 34, the word strong.com. I mentioned earlier about setting expectations was one of those really important points that, that a manager needs to do well with a team and with individuals. And there's a free downloadable coaching guide to know how to do that. And, and thousands of managers around the world have used this guide. It's 10 questions and used right. Boy, does it help get the confusion out of the way, the ambiguity out of the way. It gets right to the point of here's what I expect of you. Here's what you expect of me. Now we got a game plan. Let's move forward. 34strong.com. 
Love it. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes. And uh, I got two more questions for you. And they're questions I just like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this, Brandon. Uh, how do you keep going when there may be so much going on that you want to quit? <laughs> the power of community. So I have found that uh, if you want to go fast, the saying says, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. Uh, I am a social creature by nature. And so if I if I know that I'm I'm a part of the team, part of the community, part of the whatever that is, that could look like my family, that could look like the people I, I run with in business or the, the team I'm coaching in sports or, or my faith community, whatever it is, the community aspect, you know, understanding that I, I am relied upon and I, it's okay for me to rely on others. That has uh, made the difference many times when it just feels like it's too much. Great. I, lo- I love that. You know, it- in these times and areas, people are always looking for ways people keep going. I love it. The uh, last one I got for you. Do, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? So Coach Lombardi was definitely that teacher. Uh, he, he created a classroom environment where you just wanted to learn. You just wanted to know more. And, and I don't know if it was my competitive nature that I wanted to be his highest scoring student out of all six periods he taught. And by golly, I hit that mark and, and it was not easy to do. And I, and it, it was because I so appreciated how he taught. I appreciated how he engaged and I wanted to give that back. And years later I saw coach, you know, I got to coach under him and his program in two different schools and just able to really appreciate him. Saw him some years later and just had a warm exchange. And so, you know, Ted Lombardi, just thank you for being great teacher, great coach. So much of my life was impacted by you. That is awesome. Uh, Brandon, thanks so much for talking with me today. It was great uh, learning about 34 Strong, uh, hearing about your thoughts about parenting and working with teams. Uh, I'm wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.